Hello, I'm Jesse Wolves from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. And then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's read Acts 11, 19 to 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And now it's over to the children's talk. Who can remember what we have been learning about? What is the book that we have been in for the last couple of weeks here at church? Can you remember? The book of Acts. That's right. And what is the message of Acts? What is the sentence that we have been learning? Can anyone remember? Ellie? The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. That's right. Can you all do it? The mission... Of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Good job. You're all learning it very well. And who is this? This is Rupert. That's right. And Rupert is at school. And do you know what? He really wants to learn how to do the monkey bars all by himself. Now, for Rupert... The monkey bars are really tricky. Do you know why? Because he doesn't have hands. He doesn't have hands? Well, that's true. That's a complication. But also, he's got these antlers. These antlers get in the way as he's trying to go along the monkey bars. He's trying to do that, and bang, 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 they just keep hitting. He keeps needing to duck his head, and it's really, really hard to do the monkey bars. But guess what? He's got a friend, 
and his name, his friend's name is called Jack. And Jack has just learned to do the monkey bars all by himself, all the way from start to finish. How do you think our friend here think, feels about that? Rupert. How does Rupert feel about Jack being able to do the monkey bars when he can't? You think jealous? You think sad? Yeah, you know, it would be understandable to feel that way. But do you know what? Rupert is so excited for Jack because he knows how much Jack wanted to do it as well. And so he's been clapping, go Jack, go Jack, well done Jack. Isn't that good? Rupert was a really good friend. But then one day as he's watching Jack go back and forward and get even better and quicker at going through the monkey bars, guess what happened? Jack slipped. His hand it was getting a bit sore and he just he couldn't hold on anymore and he fell and he fell really hard and he started to cry. What do you think Rupert did then? Hannah? He helped him. Yeah, he helped him. How did he help him? By running and getting a teacher. That's exactly right. That's what you need to do when you're at school and something bad happens. You need to run and you need to get a teacher, don't you? So that they can help. Now, remember, in Acts, the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. Exactly right. And... In our story that we just read, that Anthony read for us, we saw that there were churches who needed help. Do you know, one way that Jesus makes sure that his mission cannot be stopped is that Christians help other Christians. Churches help other churches. And so the church in Antioch, they were new. And so the church in Jerusalem... They thought, we need to send them some help. Just like Rupert went and got help and was really happy and applauding uh, Jack when uh, when he was able to do the monkey bars. Jerusalem, they were applauding, and so they decided to send help to Antioch to help them get even bigger, even stronger. And then when Antioch... The city at Antioch, the church there, heard that Jerusalem, the church there, were going to be going through some really hard times. They wanted to help them too. Just like Rupert ran to get a teacher to help Jack, Antioch wanted to help the church in Jerusalem. Jesus wants his people to love one another. Isn't that right? He wants us to love one another. He wants us to help one another. That is one way that the mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. So we should try and be that help to other Christians here. How about we say a prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us other Christians, people in this church and in other churches, to be a help and a support to us as we want to live for Jesus. Help us to be a help to them too. Help us to encourage them. Help us to 
equip them, help us to love them, so that we would all become more and more like Jesus, growing stronger and stronger in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, we are so thankful that you are the God who has revealed himself, that you are the one who has shown us who you are and who we are and what it is that we are to do in this world that you have made with the gospel that you have saved us by. So we ask that your spirit would be at work in us even now, uh, Lord, that you would speak through weak words and that they would achieve all your purposes in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a teenager, I read a novel about an American high school football team, which was once at the peak of their competition, but for a long time had been struggling, just like their town had been struggling. Things started to go downhill years before when their star player died on the field. And so the family of that player had created a scholarship for the best player of the year. And and that would be each year. Now what had that scholarship done? It tore the team apart. Instead of playing as a unit with one goal, one united goal, they were now playing as individuals. They didn't want anyone else to get the glory. They didn't want to pass it. They didn't want to play to each other's strengths. They only wanted to highlight how good they were by taking the big risks, going it alone down the field. That was this team's problem. They weren't really a team. Instead of teamwork, there was rivalry. No team celebrations at a fantastic goal like you might see in the Soccer World Cup. No team spirit, no encouragement. Only rivalry. Competition within the team. Desperation to stand out as the best, worthy of the scholarship to get out of the small and dying town. I wonder if that sounds a little like God's church. Does that sound like us? As we look around the pews this morning, do we see rivals? As we're driving to church and go past other churches, do we see them as rivals? Or do we love them? The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped. And as we remember that this is his mission, we're urged in this passage, love fellow believers through triumphs and trials. We see some triumph and joy in verses 19 to 21, where we're encouraged to follow their example and speak the gospel to everyone. That's our our first heading, speak the gospel to everyone. Now, we've heard this encouragement before in Acts as we've journeyed through, and you might wish that I was a bit more original. 
But Acts is the story of the growing church, of God's church growing as God's people share God's gospel. Acts tells the story of how the church went from being localised in Jerusalem to becoming majority Gentile and even reaching to the very heart and capital of the world, Rome. And let's face it, this is an encouragement that we just keep on needing to receive. If you're anything like me, you have been a chicken this week. There was someone that I wanted to initiate a conversation with and, and hand them a tract that I happened to have in my pocket, but I didn't. That's why we need this same message over and over. When we read stories like this and we see the power of the gospel to save sinners, our hearts should be stirred. We should want to see that same thing happen here. We should want to be a part of it. Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now Luke's taking us back again to chapter 8, just after Stephen was martyred for Jesus. Since then, we've already travelled the journey. We've seen Philip his evangelistic journey to Samaria and uh, to the Ethiopian eunuch. We've seen Saul's conversion and uh, Cornelius's conversion. And now we go back and we see that others travelled further north, up through Phoenicia, which is uh, the region along the Mediterranean Sea, just uh, in modern-day Lebanon. Some from there went across to the island of Cyprus, while others went a bit further north, up to Antioch. And in these journeys, the Jewish Christians only spoke to other Jews. They spoke the gospel to Jews. And that's understandable. They've been waiting for the Messiah. These people, they come together to the synagogue each week. They, they read their scriptures that, that are promising him, foreshadowing him, showing their need for him. And now he has come. He died, he's risen, and, and through him there's forgiveness of sin. That They had to be told. Who else would you tell? Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They spoke to Gentiles. Now we don't know exactly how this relates to Cornelius. Was it before? Was it after? Either way, these Jewish Christians seemed to have an easier time adjusting to Gentile believers than they did over in Jerusalem, even easier than Peter had it. He needed a vision to do this. They just did it. Do you think that was difficult? These were pagans. Cornelius was at least a God-fearer, worshipping the Jewish God, waiting for the Messiah. Most Gentiles in Antioch weren't that. They'd have had completely different ideas about God and life's purpose, different ideas about death and life after death, different ideas about morality. Have you noticed, our city is a lot like Antioch, full of people with false ideas about God, life, 
death, heaven, hell. They have a different sexual ethic, a different idea of what it means to be a good person. But still, they preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That was their message. They preached the Lord Jesus. We can get so tongue-tied wondering how to have an evangelistic conversation. Let's take a page out of their book. Talk about Jesus. Tell someone what he has done for you. He died the death you deserved. He took your punishment. He has given you eternal life if you believe him. You might have no idea where to start. Well, here's a challenge. Grab two of the Gospels that we have here on the table over there. Grab two Matthews, two Marks, two Lukes, two Johns, and pray. Pray for the person that you really, really want to become a Christian, the person that God has put on your heart, a friend, a family member, and ask them to read it with you. Then it's not you trying to think of what to say. It's the Gospel. Ask them if they've ever actually read a biography of Jesus. Most haven't. Read a chapter at a time with them. Keep asking them questions like, who does this say Jesus is? What's so special about Jesus? And maybe we'll experience the joy of verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We long for Jesus' blessing as we tell others about him. So let's share him with everyone and see what Jesus will do. We're encouraged to speak the gospel to everyone. And now in verses 22 to 26, we're encouraged to rejoice in growth. Because you see, Jerusalem could have been jealous They'd seen thousands coming into the church in one day there in Jerusalem, but but after the persecution, everyone scattered. It took a big hit. And while the church started in Jerusalem, soon Antioch will become the base of operations in Acts. It'll be the base camp for Paul's missionary journeys. Now, Jerusalem doesn't know that yet, but they do know that something incredible is happening. So maybe they'd be tempted to assert control. Look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now Barnabas has already shown up a few times in Acts. Barnabas is his nickname. It means son of encouragement. He had sold his property and and given the proceeds to the apostles. He's the one who brought Saul to the apostles in Jerusalem after he had been converted. Why send Barnabas? The big reason, the main reason, was for their encouragement. Instead of jealousy, they chose rejoicing and support. See verses 23 and 24. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, how how might we do what Barnabas wants them to do? How might we remain faithful? Here's a, a couple of suggestions. 
Parents, it'll mean showing your kids that church is important. That you won't sacrifice church for a birthday party or a sporting activity. It means, if possible, and I know that's a big if, but if possible, being here early and hanging around later to chat and to encourage others, teaching your children to engage with older people, to, to encourage them. If you're single, it'll mean being willing to stay single rather than be romantically involved with someone who doesn't follow Jesus. If you're a worker, you will work with integrity. You won't gossip, you won't get drunk at a work party. If you're older, faithfulness to the Lord will mean not abandoning him as your body betrays you. Always wanting to grow in your understanding of the Bible and praying for your your family to know Jesus. By remaining faithful to the Lord, we're loving fellow believers through triumphs and trials. We become their encouragement. By remaining faithful, we encourage others to remain faithful, like Barnabas did. If we heard incredible news from Reforming or or St John's, fellow Presbyterian churches in Bendigo, would we be delighted like Barnabas? If we heard that every week, for months, people had been coming to faith and were on fire for Jesus and they were getting ready to plant another church, would we rejoice in their growth? We'd obviously want and pray for it to happen here too. We'd want to be a part of it. But would that go too far? Would that become jealousy? Would we be suspicious that they weren't doing things the way that they should be done? Tempted to dismiss it as not genuine. That, that church plant, that, that's doomed to failure. What if it was the Anglican church or the Baptist church here in Eagle Fork? Would we be delighted that people are being saved? Or would our competitiveness kick in? Would we complain about their songs and and their their theology and their, their priorities? Instead of rejoicing in growth, would we be full of jealousy? Barnabas wasn't jealous. He wanted to help. Because a person filled with the Holy Spirit is on fire about Jesus' mission. The increase and the maturity of disciples of Jesus The person full of the Holy Spirit isn't eager to dismiss or separate from Christian ministries or churches who do things differently than us or are filled with a different type of person than us. Antioch was seeing gospel growth. We are to love fellow believers through their triumphs. Barnabas, he he wanted to do more, but clearly he felt that it was beyond His ability, maybe there was too much for him to do. Maybe uh, he uh, thought there was too many for him to help or he thought that they needed a better teacher than he was. And so verse 25, he goes around the coast over to Tarsus. He found Saul, soon to be called Paul, and brought him back. And verse 26, they were in Antioch a year, teaching many. And in Antioch... 
the disciples were first called Christians. People outside the church called them Christians because they were always talking about Christ. They were his followers. Their whole lives were centred around him. The Jerusalem church, through Barnabas, loved their fellow believers through triumphs by rejoicing in growth. But it's not all sunshine and roses. In our third heading, we're not only to love fellow believers through their triumphs, but also through trials. And we're shown one way to do that in verses 27 to 30. Care for the needy. Care for the needy. Verse 27. Now in those days, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That starts us off with a a couple of questions that we don't have time to answer comprehensively. What are prophets? Are New Testament prophets different to Old Testament prophets? Are they still part of the church today? Just briefly, prophets are people who spoke God's words. It wasn't always about the future or only about the future. Sometimes it was about the then and there. And the prophets would warn the people that they were going against God's law. And Ephesians 2.20 talks about the apostles and the prophets being the foundation of the church with Christ as its cornerstone. Now the foundation is only laid at the beginning. Houses have been popping up all over the place in Bendigo. Once places, once empty spaces have now become they now have houses on them. And we've all seen these building sites being prepared and the preparation that goes into the foundation. We've seen them digging and making the space for the pipes and all the other things that they need to do. And then the concrete is poured. And when it's set, the rest of the house can then be built. The apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church laid only once. Like we don't have apostles anymore, there are no more Prophets, at least not people who are receiving that direct revelation from God. Now, some churches and, and Christians disagree with that assessment, from what I, but from what I can tell, that seems to be the understanding of the church for most of its history, and it makes the most sense out of what the rest of the New Testament says. But in these early days of the church, the Jerusalem church sent even more help and support to Antioch. They sent these prophets. And then we hear about Agabus, one of these prophets, foretelling a great famine would come over all the world, that is, all the Roman world. And the church in Antioch is eager to help those in Jerusalem. Is eager to act. Judea is poor. And so maybe they'll probably suffer more than those in Antioch. And so they care for the needy. The church in Jerusalem had loved their fellow believers in their triumphs, and now the church in Antioch would love fellow believers in their trials. The Jerusalem church has sent spiritual gifts, Barnabas, who who then brought Saul, and, and they'd sent the prophets. Now they could return their kindness by sending monetary gifts. This is the same kind of kindness that we've already seen in the book of Acts, in chapters 2 and 4. It's always highlighted the genuine faith of the church. But this time, instead of 
uh, being gifts from and for Christians in the same city, Christians in Jerusalem giving to other Christians in Jerusalem. Now, this time, it's people from Antioch, from another city, giving to another city. This is genuine love. Now, just a quick thing. This is not advocating socialism or communism. Communism and socialism are not the Christian ideal, but you can't get that here. In that system, the government takes everything and then gives back to you what they think you need. In Christianity, you willingly give to those who are in need. The aim is to have enough so that you can be generous to others. There's no generosity in communism. There's only dependence. So it's no wonder that believers were first called Christians in Antioch. They're following the example of their saviour. When he was in glory, in heaven, he looked out and he saw us. And he saw that we were desperately needy. We were desperately poor. We owed a debt that we could never pay. And if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, you still have that debt. We have sinned against God. We have rebelled against him. We have lived to please ourselves. We have told God by our attitudes, by our lives, to shove off that we don't need him. But he has made us for himself. We have rejected the eternal and the holy God, which means that our offence is not small. It is infinite. The greater the person is that you have offended, the greater and the bigger the consequences. And there is no one bigger, there is no one greater than God. We have been sentenced to death and torment. There is no payment that we could make so that we could escape that judgment. But Jesus took it for us. He gave his life for ours. And because he is God, his life is of infinite value. He could pay for us and we can go free. If you haven't believed this message, you could. Right now, you could. And find your guilt paid for. And like the Christians of Antioch, you will live for Jesus and find eternal life. His generosity inspired the Christians of Antioch. And it's what should inspire us. It's what should inspire us to have a sponsor child or to give to Barnabas Aid as it serves the persecuted church. We could give to Wycliffe as it seeks to translate God's word into the language of people who never heard about Jesus, who are just as spiritually poor as we once were. Our brothers and sisters around the world suffer and many of us have the ability to help We've been given what we have so that we can help those in need, especially those who belong to Jesus. The mission of the risen King Jesus cannot be stopped, not even by poverty, not by suffering, and he uses us to achieve his mission. The believers of Jerusalem and Antioch loved one another. Have you been transformed by Jesus so that you're ready to love as he loved? 
Because like these ancient Christians, we're called to love fellow believers in their triumphs and their trials. Are you ready? Are you willing? Let's pray that we would be. Our Father, we thank you for the love that we have been shown. We thank you for the love of Jesus, that by his death, our debt has been paid. Our death has already uh, been died. And so we pray that we would love as he has loved, that we would love those who are different from us, we would love them in whatever circumstances they are in, that we would rejoice as your gospel goes out and, uh, and bears fruit, that we would care for those who are in need. Lord, we thank you for what you have given us and we pray that we would be able to share it with others. May we truly love those that you have called us to love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.